Legends of Wasteland City is a post-apocalyptic anthology series and may contain references to drugs, sex, and violence along with the occasional vulgarity. You've been warned. The Ones Who Came Before, Chapter 7 The guiding light of the holy Adam could not be held forever by the darkness of this world. Zinn slowly awoke to the sound of Brother Justify's voice in the next room. He was doing a sermon, so the vacuum tube must have worked. She laid there listening as the dust in her head cleared away. Out into the barren wasteland of this ungodly desert. Nostalgia hit as Zinn remembered the voice from the radio in her camp. It was really him, the same man she'd been listening to for years. You have heard me through the airwaves given to us by the Holy Adam, spreading its message, its love. He was always talking about the Holy Adam, though she wasn't really sure what any of that meant. In the war that everyone lost, great atomic weapons had been used, rendering entire areas of the globe uninhabitable for a time. But that was mostly the big cities, military bases, and old ports. But those thoughts were mostly left to rumors and legends now. Still, she didn't fully understand why someone would worship something capable of such destruction. But for a time, your radios were silenced. Your ears left to mourn the loss of his message and his music, and all the reminders of the world that came before. As she listened from the lower of the two bunk beds, Zinn almost felt comforted by Justify's words. They reminded her of her old farm, her family, and her tribe. In this cold, dark wasteland. When that fire was put out, one of you stepped forward to find the spark that could relight the flame. In this message, one who would not stand by while our small radio broadcast was extinguished. He gave the ultimate sacrifice, children, a sacrifice of blood, of life. Ultimate sacrifice? Was he talking about mutt? Zinn jumped up on the words, trying to find the boots she had kicked off while she slept. The room was dark now, so she couldn't see them, or the childlike man looking down at her from the upper bunk. Oh, he's okay. Ah! Holy shit, you scared me. Um, he's okay? You mean Mutt? Zinn must have been sleeping very heavily for someone to get into the upper bunk without her waking up. Yeah. Don't listen to everything Brother Justify says. He likes to elaborate a little. Uh, thank you. Um... Grin. What? My name. It's Grin. He reached over to a small lamp on the wall, turning the knob and lighting up the room with a soft orange glow. Zinn looked up at Grin. His imposing size was made even greater from his perch above her, though he was sitting like a small boy at the end of the top bunk with his feet kicking in the air, and he was dressed very strangely. His clothes were dyed with deep purples and reds, and his face was painted. Not like a clown or like the war paint the raiders often wore, but with dark rings around his eyes and smoky cheeks, and a big smile painted across his mouth in bright colors. Um, would you like me to read to you? Grin was holding out a thick, worn book. Um, not right now. Zinn found her boots in the soft light and started putting them on. You said Mud is fine. Would you take me to him? Oh, yeah, of course. He's in the med tent. 
He hopped down from the top bunk, waited patiently while Zin finished putting on her boots, and grabbed her hand. He then led her into the hall, where she could see the door to the radio room closed, with a red light on outside on the wall. We can't go in there when the light's on, but it's okay. You can hear what they're doing on the speakers outside. What was with this guy? Zin thought maybe he was sick, or she had heard about some people who got a little too close to the old radiated sites. Maybe the rumors were true. They reached the foyer of the radio building, and in the chair of the front desk was a heavy-set man writing on some papers. He had a full dark beard and joyful eyes. He wasn't dressed in camo like the Dukes, so he must be with the radio crew. Oh, hey, Casper. Uh, have you met my new friends in? Not yet. You're lucky to be alive. Actually, not many people escape the bloodbacks. I'd like to hear your story later so we could possibly add it to the news broadcast if that's all right with you. Zin remembered the news broadcasts from her time on the ranch. There was never a lot of news, just scraps from here and there. But the announcers always told amazing stories of survivors fighting off death one way or another. She was especially fond of the stories where someone traveled a long way, either to find a new home or better yet, to find someone they had loved and lost. She could tell that these stories were often exaggerated, but no one cared how true they were. Yeah, sure. After I see Mutt. No, of course. Go! I think he'd love to see you. Casper dug back into his writing. Good night, my children, and be well. Grin grabbed Zinn's hand again and led her outside. It was early evening, and the camp was lit up with fires and electric light bulbs. More lights than Zinn had ever seen outside of Barstown City before. Hanging bulbs were strung across the roadway in the middle of camp, illuminating the entire courtyard and there were speakers playing music throughout. Zinn recognized another song that she'd heard on the radio on the farm so many times before. Her brother Leon had found an old cassette tape in the wall of one of the dilapidated buildings in their camp, and one of her tribe members had brought it along during a trade run to the Dukes a few years ago. That very night, the radio played some songs from that tape, dedicating them to Leon. Her whole tribe was so proud, and Lee was a genuine celebrity for finding new songs for the radio to play. The song playing on the camp radio was from that cassette tape, and she wondered if it was by chance that it was playing, or if the Swede was dedicating it to her now. She missed her family, but was so happy for these happy memories. She almost started to sing along, but caught herself as they crossed the road toward the medical tent. Zinn glanced back out toward the front of camp and could just about see through the fence to the rows of cars outside. They were being lit up by a pair of spotlights, mounted atop both of the guard towers still manned by a couple of Duke guards, though not the same as the ones before. She could see other Duke soldiers running back and forth, some carrying supplies and weapons, likely preparing for the inevitable attack from the bloodbacks. But even through all the movement, there was an odd calm in the camp. She guessed that when you've got this many guns, there's not much to be scared of. If there was a better protected place for her to be in the wasteland, she couldn't think of one. Hotshot, who was the one who helped Zinn carry Mutt through the gate, saw them crossing the road and turned to meet them. Hey. Zinn, right? Yeah. Thanks. For whatever you did to get him back here. We kind of helped each other. I'm Hotshot. Morale officer and second in command around here. You can stay as long as you want. Just try to make yourself useful while you're here. Oh, I'm not staying. Well, either way. You need anything, just... Ask Grin or any of the Dukes. Hotshot leaned in and whispered in Zin's ear. 
If he offers you one of his cookies, don't take it. They're medicated. Okay, carry on. Hotshot walked away, toward the front gate with purpose, and began barking orders at the dukes preparing behind the wall. You two, get these guns sighted for a direct approach. Shore up those fucking sandbags for the flank. I am not getting shot. He's in through here, but we can't touch anything inside. Uh, Vash doesn't like it when we touch things. Zinn followed him in through the flaps of the old military tent with the painted red cross. It was well lit inside, and surprisingly clean. She had to step up onto the floor, which seemed to be made of old wooden pallets. She wondered who'd carried all these here. A strange thought that she quickly dismissed. It creaked a little as they stepped past a couple makeshift beds and into the rear of the tent. Vash was standing over Mutt, checking his pulse against a watch which had a cracked and cloudy face and a hand-woven band. He looked up as the two approached the bed Mutt was laying on. Ah, she's awake. Mutt, someone's here to see you. Grin, don't touch that. Oh, sorry. Grin took his hand off a bag of liquid hanging over Mutt's bed. Zinn looked down at Mutt lying on his side on the bed. The bag of liquid was being fed by a tube that went into his arm. His back had a bandage taped on it with a large blood mark soaked through the center of it. She could see that he really wasn't with it. He was awake, but barely. Vash walked over to a cabinet in the corner of the tent. He's on some pretty strong painkillers. He can hear you. But we're going to keep him pretty doped up for a couple days while he heals. We got the bullet out and gave him some antibiotics. Antibiotics were more valuable than water out here. Not many people in the waste had ever even heard of them. Zinn reached out to touch Mutt's hand. He'll be okay though, right? Yeah, he'll be back on his feet in a week or so. Here, take this. Vash handed her a small white pill. What is it? Iodide. You'll take one a day while you're here. Now, let me see that eye of yours. In the old days, before the fall, there were television programs that told stories with pictures, like the radio broadcasts that the WCC provided. But you wouldn't have to use your imagination. You could just watch, and people would act out the stories on the screen. And there were shows made of drawings too. Many drawings, shown in succession, so fast that they could look alive. And one of the common tropes in those cartoons, as they were called, is that when a character got lost in the desert, and they ran out of water, they'd see things that weren't there. Instead of a funny-looking rock or a tall cactus plant, the character would see an oasis, or even an ice cream stand. The idea of a cartoon that played on a television would have seemed strange to anyone here in the wasteland. But for the bloodback that just witnessed four of his own get completely decimated by the Duke's defenses, and then made a run for it with a leaking gas tank, those mirages had gotten all too familiar. His dirt bike had made it maybe a mile before the tank dried up. After that, he pushed. He was able to plug the holes in the gas tank once he was out of the line of sight of that sniper but not before losing most of his fuel. He'd been walking this bike for miles now, and even with the sun having set a while ago, he was overheated, dehydrated, and so tired. On countless occasions, he'd seen a puddle of water shimmering in the middle of the old highway that would disappear when he got too close. These were normal in the hot desert sun, but his overheated mind and exhausted body could no longer see them for the tricks of the sun that they were. And over every hill, he'd see what looked like a couple of blood-back motorcycles coming to his aid. 
but every time they'd appear and then disappear like shadows on a cloudy day. That dirt bike weighed 300 pounds when he started pushing, but by the time the sun had set, it weighed two or three times that as the fat man guided it along the road away from the Duke's camp. Overhead, he saw a pair of vultures circling him. Fuck off, birds! Sweat fell down his brow and burned his eyes as he heard the sound of another motorbike approaching in front of him over the next hill. At first he chalked it up to just another mirage, but none had made a sound before. Relief poured over him as the sound got louder. He pushed his dirt bike up onto its kickstand and walked ahead a few more paces, waving his hands over his head. The other motorbike crested the hill and its headlight shined directly into the fat man's eyes, blinding him. He raised his arm to try to block some of the glare as the bike pulled up to just a few yards in front of him and finally turned the light away. As the fat man's eyes readjusted, he could see Bile was the rider. Where are the others? They're dead, man! All dead! The fat man was embarrassed to be sounding so emotional, but he didn't have the energy to hide it. We tracked the girl and some kid down to the Duke's camp. We, we never stood a chance. Bile just stared back at the fat man. They had more guns than I've ever seen. Hey, man. You got any water? Bile reached down and grabbed a greasy plastic bottle half filled with cloudy water. He screwed off the top and took a swig before simply replacing the bottle back to its spot. He revved the engine and turned the handlebars hard to the side, turning the bike around and blowing a thick cloud of black smoke back at the fat man as he tore off toward the Bloodbacks camp. Oh, come on! With that, the fat man kicked the useless dirt bike on its side, some dry rotted plastic bits shattering off. He grew angry, then distraught, all in one breath. He closed his eyes, calming himself, turned toward the dissipating black smoke, and started walking. But his second step never found the ground. He collapsed in a heap on the still burning asphalt. <sighs> Maybe it was the heat and dehydration. Maybe his mistreated heart was finally giving up. But it didn't matter, as he watched the pair of vultures land on the road right in front of him. Fuck you. The fat man imagined himself shooing the scavenger birds away. But his arm didn't move. His body just laid there. And his vision went black. Bile rode back into the bloodback camp, making his way through an angry beehive of raiders who made room for him to pass on his way to the dilapidated motel. He parked in front of the main entrance as Zealot walked out of the double doors with his usual two guards at his sides. You better have good news. They tracked a girl and a kid to the Duke's camp. You want me to get a riding party together? No. That's not just some outlander camp. They've got us outgunned ten to one, so we gotta be smart about this one. We're gonna be needing uh, a bit of leverage.
Ones Who Came Before was written by me, Mike Makeshift Darling, narrated and directed by Makeshift. Brother Justify was played by Jet Black. Zinn was played by Mallory Trinnell. Grin was played by himself, Jared Atkins. Casper was played by Ryan Lowes. Bash was played by Gavin Lighton. Hotshot was played by herself, Megan Foster. The Fat Man was played by Mike the Baron Muchow. Bile was played by Kaylin Chase, and Zealot was played by Jay Preston. Legends of Wasteland City is a production of The Apocalypse Post. Stick around after the break for more info about today's episode. You can help support the Legends of Wasteland City and the Apocalypse Post by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash theapocalypsepost or by making a purchase in our merch store, now including a brand new makeshift patch designed by the one and only Critical Biggs. Find it at theapocalypsepost.square.site. We here at Camp Carrion have been bottling and brewing our line of fine slurries for, gosh, going on decades now. And we'd like to introduce our newest beverage, Carrion Cola. Sourced using the prime wasteland dregs our network of seasoned scabs provide. Our fermentation process results in a powerfully carbonated drink with the aroma Camp Carrion is known for. Carrion Cola provides you with the crude oils and trace heavy metals you're missing in your diet. Carrion Cola, <laughs> you've had worse things in your mouth. Hey Survivors, Makeshift here, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Ones Who Came Before. This episode offers a little reprieve from all the action, a little time for you and our characters to catch your breath after finally escaping the bloodbacks. And one of the things I feel makes a good movie is when they have these moments of calm. A lot of modern action films leave out these quieter moments trying to cram in more action or attempting to appeal to a foreign audience using as little language as possible, thinking of Transformers and... Uh, Fast and the Furious and stuff like that. And the movie can often suffer for it. But scenes like in Jurassic Park where Dr. Grant is in the tree with the two kids telling dinosaur jokes and the movie Home Alone where he visits the church before that climactic scene where he finally fights back against the robbers. It's all part of what makes a great movie rewatchable a hundred times because those are the scenes that teach us more about the characters and we can find some natural exposition. Not that there's a ton of exposition in this chapter. Really, I just wanted to paint the Dukes of the Nuke camp with Zinn's eyes as she explores this strange new place that she's never been. And I can imagine that in a post-apocalyptic world where almost no one but the richest and most adept survivors have the things we take for granted in pre-apocalyptic society. Zinn was probably never far from her little cattle ranch, and maybe that's a little metaphor for the southerners that never leave the county, or city folk who have no idea how to survive in the wild. Either way, Zinn has never experienced a working refrigerator or interior running water. This whole camp is a bit of an anomaly for her, thanks to the riches of arms sales and the know-how of a couple radio engineers. In the apocalypse, the only way you would even have the time to work on things like engines and designer lighting and entertaining radio broadcasts is if you've got the help of a group of people that can divvy up all the responsibilities. Because I'd imagine one or two people by themselves would have to spend a majority of their time just finding food and making sure they're safe, which would probably mean staying on the move, where you can't collect things and you can't fix things and you have to ditch your whole camp every now and then and take what you can in a couple of backpacks or like in the road in a shopping cart. <laughs>
But the Dukes and the WCC have the numbers and the weapons to keep a consistent camp, collecting the things they need and adding a few luxuries to the post-apocalypse. And we got a chance to hear one of Brother Justify's sermons, or at least some of it. I may release the whole thing as a separate thing. Actually, tell you what, I'm going to. I'm going to release the whole thing uh, as an exclusive for my Patreon supporters. If you want to hear the entire sermon that I had written, uh, but it was always meant to be background, so uh, it, it may or may not be awesome. I don't know, but we'll see. But uh, Jet Black returned as Brother Justify and uh, killed it. He definitely went like full Southern gospel preacher for it. And I, I really appreciate that. I thought it was kind of cool. It's a little bit different than the real Brother Justify, played by uh, Dan Thompson at Wasteland Weekend, uh, who plays it a little bit different. He's, he's very warm. He's probably a little bit more pure at heart than the version of him we are writing here. But this is also early Brother Justify. You know, I, I would imagine this would be, you know, 10 years before now. Uh, so maybe he's learned something along the way, and maybe we'll get a little bit of a Brother Justify story sometime, because I wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more. I'll have to talk to Dan and, you know, see what he envisions for some more of Brother Justify's backstory. He always gives us a little little hint. Um, he does like a, sum, like a Sunday sermon at Wasteland Weekend, which is really cool. It, it often gets overlooked because everyone's very busy packing up and breaking things down and, uh, you know, loading up their cars to get out of there. But if you get the chance, if you go to Wasteland Weekend, um, Sunday morning, they do it at the front gates now. I think it's around 10 or 11. It's usually on the schedule, but you can hear him do a sermon and it's really cool. It's very fallout inspired and he has a whole shtick that he does. And, uh, there's definitely some followers of Adam there, which is pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So Jet Black's kind of doing his own, his own thing with Brother Justify with a little bit of my guidance. And, uh, I, I think it's really fun. And we also get to meet Grin, who's one of the Duke's more mysterious characters for sure. He was played by the real world Grin too. If you get the chance to bump into him at a festival, well, Wasteland Weekend specifically, he may actually just start reading Alice in Wonderland to you. So be ready for that. That is something that um, actually happened at Wasteland. I think his first year there, he was very deep in the Alice in Wonderland uh, lore. You know, he's he's he considers himself a follower of Alice, like um, the book became his Bible almost. And there's a few people that it, that are inspired by Alice in Wonderland. The Hatter it would be another. He's the guy that does um, Wasteland Talk. If you haven't listened to that podcast, you should check it out. They're very Wasteland forward. That's pretty much all they're talking about. So if you want to hear more about Wasteland and some stories, they always have guests every week. I was actually on it a couple weeks ago for a live version of it, which was a lot of fun. But yeah, check them out. And uh, oh, back to Grin, because that first year that Grin showed up, a character by the name of Emissary wandered into our camp. And somehow, I don't know why, but uh, we kidnapped him. No, we imprisoned him. No, no, no. We held him against his will. And uh, <laughs> it was all in good fun. But one of the punishments that he had to endure while in the capture of the Dukes was Grin sat down next to him and read him page by page, word by word, Alice in Wonderland. I don't know how long for, no matter how long it was, I'm sure it was an eternity, but uh, <laughs> it was it was really funny. I guess you had to be there, but uh, yeah, just imagine you get captured and, you're, and the torture that is th thrust upon you is a mere reading of the Alice in Wonderland series. Anyway, good times. Uh, yeah, Grin has slowly over the years, I, I, I really love him for an example of like someone who's modified their costume. Um, you know, the first year he was very Alice in Wonderland, and then he kind of realized, um, you know, the Dukes are very military, so he's slowly, over the years, become more of our chemicals expert. Um, so he still has a little bit of that, like, Alice in Wonderland kind of look, but um, he's gotten much more 
green over the years. And yeah, he kind of find, he kind of created his own story within the tribe because he could have just been another soldier. But he decided to make it his, which I think is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because at Wasteland Weekend, you really shouldn't be bringing in characters from other things but there's always that gray area right we have the world's last elvis impersonator um so uh his name is mike and he just goes by wasteland elvis and he um he showed up the first year just thinking it was a regular costume party we actually talked about this on this show Uh, well not in legends of wasteland but on the apocalypse post we talked about this and once he was there he realized oops this is not the costume party i thought it was so he very quickly dirtied up his Wasteland Elvis costume. Well, I get he dirtied up his Elvis costume and became Wasteland Elvis. Uh, and he's consistently done that for, oh, oh shoot, 10 years now, which is pretty cool. We've also got a Charlie Chaplin impersonator and he's very much a wasted Charlie Chaplin. So, you know, he would be more of like a vaudeville like a future post-apocalyptic vaudeville version of Charlie Chaplin. He's not just playing Charlie Chaplin, he's actually doing a version of him that is post-apocalyptic. And, you know, we've seen that a few times. Um, uh, As long as you're taking those extra steps to make sure that it still fits, right? Because some of this stuff wouldn't necessarily fit in the Mad Max world, but it would fit in a Fallout world. Uh, because Fallout tends to be a little bit more liberal, a little bit more like pop culture oriented. Um, and it's 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 like porn, right? It's, you know it when you see it. And it's your post-apocalypticness is right when it's right. But it's really hard to tell, you know, when you've gone far enough. Anyway, for more information on that, definitely check out Nuclear Snail, the YouTube channel. And he's got some really good insight on what makes really good post-apocalyptic costumes versus kind of the cheap stuff, which is kind of the, a little bit more where I end up. Just the very quick paint it and make it dirty and tear some holes in it kind of style. Uh, because I'm not much of a costumer. I've talked about that before, but I, I don't know. If you wear the stuff enough, it gets there kind of on its own. So last, last new character, I think it's the last new character of this episode, we met Casper, the other original member of the WCC next to the Swede. Uh, he's played in this by Ryan Lowe's, who may be the first listener to ask about reading a character and absolutely crushed it. Uh, So if you ever feel like you want to give voice acting a go and want to work on a future episode of Legends of Wasteland City and you have access to a decent recording solution, reach out. And that goes the same for if you have a story that you think would fit in the Legends of Wasteland world that you may want to be included in a future season. I'm not guaranteeing it'll be included, but uh, you know, I'm definitely looking for stories for next season. So if yours fits and, and I think it will work, We'll just go for it. And also, this one, kind of like a couple episodes I've done in the past, we have a few different scenes. We kind of break away from the Dukes and go visit the Bloodbacks. The Fat Man was never supposed to come back after his midnight pissing scene. He wasn't in the original script. Uh, But I kept writing and rewriting these later chapters, and I wanted to add a little bit more and get to know what happened to the Bloodback that escaped on the motorcycle after Valhalla punched a bullet-sized hole in his gas tank. Well, I guess it would be a couple of holes, right? I don't think a gas uh, gas tank's going to stop a sniping bullet. A sniper bullet? A sniper? I don't know. I, just, I don't know enough about guns to get this right. Uh, but I think it did set up a pretty visceral death scene, which was kind of the same thing. We added that other scene with the red-headed bloodback that gets killed by Zealot for, for um, not watching while Mutt invaded their camp and stole Zinn and 
and blew up all their vehicles. But these scenes are helping paint the higher level bloodbacks as just cruel leaders who care more about their end goals than the people helping to get them there. And you can take that as a metaphor for whatever you want, but I'm really enjoying these little scenes that show just how bad the bloodbacks are and how maybe some of the lower level raiders are just there trying to survive and get caught up in it. Because sometimes the bad guys aren't all bad, they're just doing the best they can and, you know, sometimes you gotta do bad things to survive. Uh, and, you know, is the fat man necessarily a bad guy? I don't know. He could be. He, I mean, he is, because, uh, you know, he's part of the bad guys, but there's always gray area, is all I'm saying. Uh, and, of course, the fat man was played by longtime Wastelander Mike Muchow, uh, and he put his all into this death scene, which was tons of fun. Hopefully someday we'll get him to play the Baron, the actual Baron, from the Skullduggers and from Undertown. Maybe we'll get a little bit of their lore in here as well. We've talked about that on the show as well during uh, the Apocalypse Post. We've talked about how the Skullduggers have the entire Battle of Fifth Street as a welcoming lore that anyone can kind of add their story into. So yeah, pretty cool. In real world news, we're now down to 60 days until the next Wasteland weekend, which is where a lot of this lore is, of course, inspired. There's an actual Wasteland city, which is the themed area of the festival, where if you look around, you are not just at a post-apocalypse festival, you actually feel like you're like the background, a background extra in a post-apocalypse movie. Or, as it's become more so lately, you're the lead character in your very own post-apocalyptic video game. The city is filled with tribes from all around the country and beyond, that's in the real world and in the lore world. Um, and of course the, the backstory of Wasteland City, of Wasteland Weekend, is that the tribes gather for a week every year in an event called The Gathering. Well, I think we've kind of tokened at The Gathering. There's a general truce that takes place even between warring tribes at Wasteland City, and that's enforced by the elite guard, so that survivors can freely barter, conduct their business, and celebrate another year of just being alive. That goes back to the origins of Wasteland, which is pretty cool. No one knows who really began the gathering, uh, but it's been going as long as anyone remembers. And you could join us for this year's gathering, just a couple hours north of Los Angeles in the California Republic. That's uh, Los Angeles in California for those that aren't following along. You've got to wear your post-apocalyptic attire. That means there's no old world clothes allowed. You have to be in costume, but uh, there is what's called Wasteland Basic. Uh, you can look that up on my channel or some others. But other than that, it's like a lot of other arts festivals that you've been to. There's tons of entertainment all day long put on by, some put on by the festival and a whole bunch more put on by the actual Wastelanders there. Uh, a lot of the tribes like to host their own entertainment, if you get my drift. Kind of like the Dukes, we host, um, we started hosting the Dukes of the Nuke USO show, which is an open mic. Uh, and this year we're going to do it three days, because it was a lot of fun last year. Last year we did it on Wednesday and Friday. We're going to do it Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this year. Exact times to be announced, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be like 4 to 6, which is usually a lull in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, we'll just do sign-ups at 4 o'clock. Um, we'll probably give people a little bit more time this year. Last year we did one song or five minutes, but um, I think we'll probably do, you know, like the first 10 people to sign up might get a little bit longer, more like two songs or six minutes or something like that. Uh, so if you're interested, if you want to check out Wasteland Weekend, you can find out more information at wastelandweekend.com or check out the Apocalypse Post YouTube channel to get an idea of what to expect. There's a couple of documentaries up there and a whole bunch of other Wasteland material to check out. And that kind of brings up this this fun thing. One of my great hopes for the Legends of Wasteland City is that one of you that are listening, that you only know this show 
Somehow you're listening to this show and you know nothing about Wasteland Weekend. But my hope is that one of you that are listening, a fan of Legends of Wasteland City, will go to Wasteland Weekend for the first time and find one of the characters from these stories in real life. Because minus a handful like Mutt, the Bloodbacks, and a few others, these are mostly real-world characters. You can go visit Schofield's Drifters and try some of Suttler's strange elixirs, or go hang out with the escaped insane convicts of Rabbit Asylum. Or, of course, visit the Dukes of the Nuke and barter for some weapons. And all day, you can listen to Wasteland Radio, put on by the Wasteland Communication Corporation, as you deliver mail for their post office. These are all real things that happen at Wasteland, and a lot of these characters are real. You can go talk to them, and they would love to talk to you. But also, I realize that many of you probably have some questions about the event or about this show. I'm going to do a Q&A session coming up real soon. So if you're curious and you've got questions or comments or anything really, send them to theapocpost at gmail.com or leave a comment on this episode wherever you're listening, and I'll answer them all soon. That's all for now, survivors. Uh, Make sure that you are subscribed wherever you're listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend. And if you hated it, Share it with an enemy, along with a medicated cookie that's definitely not for sharing. I'll see you next time, survivors. Stay alive. End days, end, end, end days, end days.